0: Last week, we spent our time walking through Paul's words contained for us in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be starting out again where we left off, actually exactly where we left off in Colossians chapter 2. First, we looked last week at baptism, one of the observances of the church. Um, Baptism is incredibly important to the church, not only the practice, but the idea of baptism, which is a figurative sense. It's used heavily within scripture itself, and Paul's actually been referencing that. In fact, today we're going to continue down Paul's thought process of why he even first brought this idea of baptism up. It's incredibly important to have a proper understanding of both what it looks like and why it is done. And if we're going to understand what comes next in his writings. So the second area we spent our time with last week uh, was looking at this idea of faith and works, specifically uh, what we call Christian liberty. We looked at our Christian liberty. And Paul had said, don't let anyone judge you concerning the various things that you do in your life. Don't let people put you down and and put you in a, a box. You see, the highly religious or legalistic person will tell you that you have to follow these incredibly strict standards if you ever want any hope of becoming godly or looking godly, if you ever want to make it on God's good side and find an entrance into heaven. But Paul wrote to the Colossians specifically to argue against this very thing. Remember that the Jewish leadership had turned the worship of God into a set of do's and don'ts uh, that had to be followed exactly if if anyone was going to have any hope of trying to get into heaven within their life. And now Paul recognized that no one had the authority to tell you what you could and couldn't do with your Christian liberty, your freedom in Christ. He was also quick to tell us that whether we like it or not, our actions, the things that we do, the things that we think only affect us, well, they don't. In all reality, Paul said that our actions are always being watched by others. Our actions are always being watched by others. It could be your children, could be your family members, your co-workers, even your fellow church members. Someone is always watching you. And Paul said that if you became aware of what you were doing was leading somebody or causing them to regress into sin, if you became aware that what you were doing with your liberty was leading somebody else to sin... Then you were responsible for Jesus if you didn't change your action. You were responsible if you took an inactive stance. For your refusal to change, even though you know what you were doing is causing somebody else to stumble. Now, Paul finished last week by saying that the response of the mature Christian is to recognizing the way that our choices affect others around us. To recognize the way that our choice affects those around us and to choose to do that which benefits those around us with them in mind. And this is partially where our memory verse comes into play as we act and those are watching around us. We can say this one together. Let's say this. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each each one. Sorry, that is my fault. Sorry, that's but that is completely on me. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Clearly, I've got most of it down, not all of it. Uh, <laughs> wisdom requires balance. Wisdom requires balance. And there's a balance that we must each find in life. And I kind of look at life a lot like a seesaw. You know, a seesaw. The one you can still find on old playgrounds. I'm talking about a real seesaw. One where you could lift your friend up six feet into the air and all of a sudden hop off and let him drop, plummet down to the ground. The crazy thing is they they somehow believed that we wouldn't do it again, and we still convinced them to get back on. Now, I'm not talking about one of these newfangled seesaws with the springs and they only move about a foot. I'm talking about the old ones, where you actually got some real movement. I mean, you had the possibility of breaking bones. They were wood. I mean, you could get splinters off of these things, the really fun ones. Anyone, when they were a kid, Try to stand on a seesaw to see if you could balance it, kind of like you're surfing. You just stand up there, see how long you could do it. Much of life is about balance. Keeping that balance is hard, and it requires constant concentration, like being up on that seesaw, constant adjustment. And this is why so many in life tend to lean one way or the other, as staying balanced or keeping a proper perspective requires constant attention, constant adjustment. And today we're going to be talking about those that would try to trap you into leaning one way on that seesaw of life or the other, trying to keep you bound up by rules looking in the wrong direction. So today our sermon is titled, In Pursuit of Jesus. Paul's going to be talking about our pursuit of Jesus Christ. If you'd like, there are some bulletins in the back that I make. Uh, If you'd like to take notes, there's always some spare ones there. Uh, They'll help you fill in some of the blanks as we're going through the sermon. They've even got an activity on the back as well. But today we're going to be covering two points, and they're going to come directly from Paul's words. He's really got two points. If you died with Jesus, then this should happen. And that's kind of where he goes. And then he says, if you were raised with Jesus, this should happen. So he kind of goes through these two things, and these come directly from his thoughts. Kind of broken down into two places today. So point number one, if you died with Jesus... So we're going to pick up exactly where we were in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 18. Last time we ended in 17. So verse 18, I'll have the words on the screen today. It says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, introducing into those things which has not been seen, intruding into those things which have not been seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He says, let no one cheat you. So how is it that someone's going to be cheating us? And Paul says that we have been cheated if we are told or we've been convinced that we should take a personal delight in false humility. A fancy way of saying that is a pious superiority, if you start having this pious superiority about you. So we have all inevitably come across someone who is high on their spiritual horse. We all know the person that is high on their spiritual horse. You know who I'm talking about. They probably came to mind as soon as I said the words. They know all of the right answers, They do all of the right spiritual things, and they make it a point to let you know that they do all the right spiritual things. In fact, they often will go so far as to help you understand where you fall short, even though you've never asked them. I ran across an interesting article a while back that was discussing what happens to us when we have more head knowledge uh, than a practical experience. What happens to us when we have more head knowledge than practical experience. Now, I don't remember where I found it or even who it was by, but I remember the gist of the article was that when we as humans get really full of head knowledge and don't have that practical experience, we become a little bit full of ourselves when we know a bit too many facts. And we haven't taken the time to apply that knowledge in a practical or constructive way. And what Paul is warning us here fits very well with that article. He's saying, be careful. The goal, your prize is Christ, Jesus Christ alone. And there will be those who are going to say that your goal should be looking like a spiritual Christian. You should look like you've studied everything, like you have all the answers. And that's the wrong goal. We should never be setting our sights there. And if you look at Paul's words against the reference of the worship of angels, he says, the things which he has not seen, meaning that these pious people spend all of their time studying the theoretical. These pious people who have lifted themselves up and think themselves morally superior, they they study the theoretical. Don't get me wrong. It's good to know your Bible and to understand some of these odd things that are mentioned within it. But these shouldn't be our primary focus. These are extra things. Our primary focus should always be the pursuit of Christ. Paul continues on in verse 19. He says these words, And not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, and grows with the increase that is from God. And Paul says that in trying to pursue this empty knowledge, this empty sense of superiority, They have given up of their pursuit of Christ. They've detached themselves from the head of the body of the church. They have lost their reward. They've disconnected themselves from what is actually important. I really like the way the New Living Translation puts this. Same verse, New Living Translation. It says, and they are not connected to Christ. They've disconnected themselves. The head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and grows it as God nourishes it. Jesus Christ is our core and our center. He is to be the object of our desire as Christ followers. We are Christ-like ones or Christians. We're not called angel akins or by any other name because we, we, we follow the pursuit of the knowledge of angels or something else, but that of Christ. Christ is our identity. He is our pursuit. And it's at this point that Paul brings us back to that very identity, It's where he starts breaking down and explaining the true importance of baptism. After all, being dunked in water is a symbolic act, okay? We dunk people every year at the pond. Uh, We bring them down, and it's a symbolic act. It doesn't actually uh, save someone. Now, why do we walk across when you're to get your diploma? uh, You've probably graduated high school, or at least nobody, somebody has, um, or even college. Why do we walk across the platform to receive our diploma? Think about this with me for just a second. When you walk across the platform to receive your diploma, you can only be up on the stage if you've already earned it. You've already actually technically received it. You don't actually have to walk up on the stage. Walking on the stage to receive your diploma is a symbolic act of what has already been done behind the scenes. And this is the way baptism is in our lives. The platform is a gesture. It's taking place of what has already been done. And this is why we, we baptize, to identify with Christ. If you have your Bible, you can look at verses 20 through 22 with me. I'll also have them on the screen. It says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ, how have we died with Christ? What he's saying is you have given up on your pursuit of trying to save yourself by your works, trying to make yourself right with God by your own actions alone. He says that you not only believe that Christ has died for your sins and you have accepted it, you now live your life as this is true. Baptism is an external display of the choice that you've already made. And Jesus said in Matthew 18 that we should make disciples and then baptize them in his name. Jesus Christ has given us this commandment as we go forth. The gospel writer Mark would later write that Jesus actually continued on in that discussion and he instructed us in these words. He says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who did not believe will be condemned. You're going to notice that believing here in this verse, this is Jesus' words in Mark 16, 16, believing is the qualifications for being either saved or condemned. Okay, so he who believes will be saved, ultimately. He who does not believe will be condemned. But not being baptized does not stop you from going to heaven. Notice that? It doesn't say that you don't get baptized and don't go to heaven. It's an important faith step in our journey, absolutely but it's not going to stop you from getting into heaven. And the reason why I mentioned that is that there are many that are going to tell you that you have to be baptized if you're going to make it to heaven. Well, according to Jesus, you don't. And it's this very thing that Paul is trying to tell us. In our verses, where we were just looking, he said that there are those that are going to tell you that you shouldn't touch You shouldn't taste, you shouldn't handle certain things. All in an effort to keep you pursuing something other than Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul ended verse 22 stating the things like these are commandments and doctrines of men. These are the commandments and doctrines of men. They're trying to sideline you. Now religion has always been, always has been, the pursuit of a man-centered holiness. Man-centered holiness. The religious are always going to put man at the center. They will try to put everything on you. That holiness will be determined by your actions. Some so-called Christian circles, it could even be controlled by your emotional state. You feel holy today, so you must be. And it's determined by the way you feel about it today. The gospel changes all of this. It takes it off of our shoulders and puts it on Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center, and it's all about Jesus Christ. Both what he did and he continues to do through you as you trust him. And this is why Paul follows up in verse 23. He says these words, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. What he's saying, don't touch, don't handle, don't do these things. They look good. They're a self-imposed religion. They're false humility and neglect of the body. But they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So point two today, point to do uh, is uh, if you were raised with Jesus. If you were raised with Jesus. Now, it may come as a shock to you, but when Paul originally wrote this letter, he didn't break it up with chapters and verses. Paul didn't sit there and go, ooh, chapter 3, verse 1. Today, we're going to write. He didn't have those. Chapters and verses actually didn't appear in our Bibles until the year 1557. The year 1557. Um, there was a guy by the name of Whittingham. He added it to his translation of the Bible, and they've stuck ever since. So it's only been the last four, 500 years of all of the history of the Bible. So even though we're crossing over now in our study to chapter 3, and Paul's original letter, it's just the next paragraph. So this isn't something that we should be completely concerned with. This is just literally the next sentence down the line. Now, back to our lesson. We know that the things of the world are going to tell us to pursue. The wisdom of the world will tell you to try to look good, to look like you have it all together. It'll try to tell you everything so they can distract you from your pursuit of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul continues on in his next verse, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then if you were raised with Christ, the point of our sermon here, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, second time, not on the things of the earth. Now, not very far back, we just looked at Paul was discouraging us from making our pursuit of angels our primary focus, which means he's not talking about angels here. He's talking about something else. He just said, don't, don't spend your time looking at angels and other things that are theoretical. Look to these things above and pursuing Christ. And you're going to notice that he says, seek those things above twice. That which is above, set our minds on which is above. And he's clarifying in the way that he wants us to seek. He wants us to be focused in our lives. And he's using this play on the words to tell us to seek after certain things. The world's going to tell you there are things that you should be seeking after. But unfortunately, they are wrong. And they're going to leave you empty. And some of you have probably found that pursuing after those has not helped you in your life. While they might bring pleasure for a time, ultimately, you're always wanting more when you follow what the world says will make you happy. And here, Paul is telling us, instead of pursuing the world's suggestions, that we should pursue his. So he sets the stage for what he is about to say. He's about to say you should be seeking specific things. And we're going to get into that list. He says, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And what he is saying is that if you consider yourself a Christian in any form, if you consider yourself uh, a new Christian, or even uh, if you've been walking with him so long you can't even remember how long it's been, no matter where you are as you're following him, if you've considered yourself dead to sin at one point, and that you now found your life is with Jesus Christ, then Jesus has a plan for you. And he's saying, not just in the future, as you see him in glory, but even today. Jesus has a plan for your life today. Now, I've been talking about not uh, extensively about not following religious standards uh, of holiness, trying to gain favor with God, trying to do it on our own effort. And Paul's about to give us a list of things that we need to get rid of out of our lives. So the rest of this sermon's about stuff to get rid of. And the next sermon, next week, it's about stuff we should be focused on and getting into our lives. So come back next week. That's, that's my primer for next week. Now, Paul's about to give us a list of things that we need to get rid of. And in all reality, the things that he he lists, uh, when you're reading this, when you take it at face value, it can feel, well, a bit like a list of religious standards in an attempt to gain holiness and favor with God. If you just read it, you're like, wait a second, you just said don't follow these standards to get holiness with God, and then you're giving us a list to gain holiness with God? Wait, what? What, what? What's happening here? However, there are some very different, uh, important differences that are going to have to be pointed out. Paul has a list, but it's not the same as a religious to-do list. Okay, so number one, we're going to find that the religious will give rules and regulations to obtain favor with God. Okay, those who are religious will give you a list, number one, so that you can obtain favor with God. This is not this list. Um, Paul says, uh, just said in verses three and four, that By your faith and by your faith alone, you have already gained favor with God. So you're not trying to gain favor with God in this list that he's about to give you. You've already got that if you're a believer in Christ. And this will absolutely um, not affect that. And number two, the religious will give a list that are action-specific so you can look holy. The religious will try to give you a list so that you can look holy. The list that Paul is about to give is not only very generic, but it's also less action-centered, and it's more sin-centric. It's sin-averse, and that the list will actually guide you to help lead you away from sin. So let's look at what he says. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. There we go. Hey, look at that. We've got it back. Okay. Yay. Sorry. Uh, Here we go. And then we are here. This is why the next couple of locations. So we're talking about sin. Okay, so recap, because we've had like a three-minute intro from uh, technology, which doesn't seem to like us today. Okay, you were always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What are your thoughts currently telling you right now? (laughs) Avoid technology. Okay, um, this is why uh, a couple of the items on Paul's next list are going to conclude. He says, okay, your thoughts. Your thoughts are controlling you. They're driving you wherever you're going. So... Get rid of this evil passion, this evil desire, and covetousness. Uh, covetousness. I can't say that word correctly, so you can say it correctly better than me. Okay? Passion and evil desire are the thoughts and the intents of your hearts, and ultimately, so is covetousness. I, I can't. I can't say that word. There are words that I can't say. Anyways. When I hear that word, I, I typically, to me, uh, you, you can associate it with different things. Personally, I, I look at it desiring, like someone who is not ours to desire. Uh, so that could be any any other person that's that's not ours to desire. But obviously, it's so much more. It's desiring something that isn't ours to have, whether that's a person or an object. Um, we desire something new or nice. And right now, you are probably desiring a new christmas present you probably have on your mind a christmas present that you were either going to receive or give to somebody else however when that passing interest starts to consume your thoughts when we start daydreaming about it when we start constantly being focused on it we start daydreaming about being somebody else i wish i was i wish i had their life i wish i had their And you can start filling in the blanks. When we start going there, we've crossed a line, and Paul calls this idolatry. Because an idol is something that we worship that replaces or comes before worshiping God. And Paul says it's these things that we have to put to death in our life. We have to get them out of our lives so that they don't sprout back up, not even for a second, so that they don't tempt us and lead us astray. And he says, these are the very things, the qualities that have caused God to have a great anger on humanity because they've caused us to worship things rather than him. And he has this anger against the world and we, his followers, should have nothing to do with these things that are causing his anger. He continues on with his list and he says, but now you yourselves are to put off these things, like I just said. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, Don't lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. He says, if you're a Christian, you need to get rid of the anger, the rage, the malicious behavior, the slander, and the dirty language. So so this one's to the men in the room. Um, He's saying, guys, get rid of the shop talk. The, The shop talk is the dirty jokes that are okay at the workplace, but nowhere else. Most of us men have been in places where crude jokes and talk are acceptable at work or on the job site. And what he's saying is, he says, we need to get rid of those. I've heard every single one and every variation of them, but he's saying, don't be the Christian who comes to church on Sunday and then be a completely different person the rest of the week. We all know what that looks like. We've seen that person, but he says, be aware of that so that you're not that person. Look at your own life introspectively so that you don't become that person. I started this sermon by referencing baptism, saying that there's a really good reason why Paul keeps bringing it up. And I don't know about you, but I think of the world in a little bit of gray scale. There, there's a lot of things that are not black and white in our lives. There are things that are, but, but there's a lot that is not. And Paul makes it very clear that when it comes to the sin in our lives, it's a black and white issue. It's not a grayscale issue. He says the pursuit of death, or it's the pursuit of life. He says, if you died with Jesus, then it's time to get rid of the remnants of the old life. Who you are as a Christian is evidenced by what you say and do. Remember, we started off this sermon by saying, people are watching you. People are watching you. Now that you are a Christ follower. And this week, uh, we have focused mostly on what we need to get rid of. Like I said, next week, we're gonna be talking about what we need to be putting on. So come back next week as he starts saying, these are the things you should be replacing these things with. Ultimately, though, we hang on to our sin one reason or another. Well, I'll just deal with that one tomorrow. It's not big enough for me to deal with. It's a small sin, and it doesn't affect anyone. Sometimes we question who we would be without that sin. If I didn't have this in my life, who would I be? Because it becomes a crutch in our lives. But that's just it. With the sin in your life that you keep holding on to, the one that you haven't been able to quite let go of, because it brings you sort of comfort You've allowed yourself to become a pretender. When we purposely hold on to sin, we become a pretender. Then you, as a Christian, hold on to sin in your life on purpose and refuse to let it go. You've allowed yourself to become a fake. If you are purposely holding on to the sin and you refuse to let it go, you are either a believer who is pretending to be a sinner, or you are not saved and you're pretending to be a believer. If you're purposely holding on to sin that God keeps saying, hey, it's time to get rid of, time to get rid of, and you're not, you end up being one or the other. You become a fake. If you purposely hold on to that sin, and Paul says in verse eight, now is the time to get rid of this. This week we talked about what needs to be taken off. Like I said, next week we're gonna be talking about what needs to be put on. We need to get stuff put in to replace these things so that they don't keep coming up in our lives. Stuff that no longer drags us back and only hinders our growth. And he's going to cover some practical advice next week that we can instill in our lives as goal markers to chart our growth in Christ. So this week, I want to close with two questions. Number one, are you pursuing Jesus? It's easy to get caught up in pursuing man's standards so that you can look good. I need this so my life will be better. I need that. I need to do this. I need to do that. But have you been pursuing some made-up image of holiness? Or have you been pursuing the one who makes you holy? And the final question is, where are your thoughts leading you? We are always heading in the direction of our strongest thoughts. That's a fact. You are always heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So what has been on your mind lately? That's a deep question. What has been on your mind lately? Is it leading you toward Christ or is it leading you away? Let's pray. God, I do thank you so much for your word. Lord, help it to convict our hearts. And I know it's going to look different in each of our lives as each of us are at different stages and you're working in us differently. But Father, help us today to take the step, whatever you've been laying on our heart, help us to move forward in it. Help us to grow as strong and mature Christians to show that you are the most important one in our lives. Help us not to be weighed down by these false senses of security that doing certain things that look Christian or look holy can bring. But Lord, help us to solely focus on you. Help us to walk in the life that you have called us to. Lord, help us to trust you and bring us safely as we travel throughout our week. Lord, I thank you so much for the day. Help us to rejoice wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known, by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.